Today we've been uh, talking a little bit about dukkha, suffering. As we practice meditation, sometimes we talk about the suffering that arises that can be the source of wisdom and understanding and help us on our path to the end of suffering. But then other times there's suffering that just leads to more suffering. So part of our practice is learning to develop a skillful attitude towards suffering and turn it to our advantage. And turning it to our advantage means um, using mindfulness and using wisdom to actually look at suffering and recognize it for what it is. And also to see it as the result of craving, to see how craving has led to suffering. This can be very momentary types of suffering, just momentary uh, unpleasant feelings, emotions, negative thinking, or more deeply ingrained suffering that comes with say, having a body, different kinds of pain in the body, discomfort, unpleasant feelings, heat and cold, the suffering of living in the world and living with other people and so on. The suffering is a noble truth it's where we recognize suffering for what it is and know this is the way it is. So if we're meditating, say we have some pain arise, usually because we have aversion to painful feeling, we want to get up, move away from it, or change posture. But before we do that, we can also just note in our mind, this is pain, this is a painful feeling, this is what it feels like. Put our attention at the part of the body where that pain is arising. Sometimes even just becoming mindful of pain, making it the object of your mindfulness is enough for that pain to become more tolerable, easier to bear. Sometimes even disappears altogether. If it's a pain that is very strong and it doesn't disappear, well then maybe we have to change posture, move but at least we've become mindful of the pain before we move, rather than just moving out of aversion and the craving, the, the, the desire to get away from the pain, which doesn't bring up much wisdom or understanding. 
if we get into this habit of becoming mindful of both the pleasant and the unpleasant experiences we have, we learn a lot. And this is why it's the first noble truth, the dukkha, something we have to learn from, understand, and to know dukkha as dukkha. Usually when we don't have much awareness, much understanding, then dukkha becomes my dukkha. And the sense of self that grasps at the dukkha is where craving arises. And we, with craving we start to think and make it something important in our minds. And there's little mindfulness and little wisdom there. But obviously as we practice meditation then our ability to be mindful with pain or unpleasant conditions of mind, it grows maybe only slowly. So we just have to take it easy and maybe our practice with a small amount of pain sometimes, just practicing being mindful. Or memories or different thought patterns that seem painful. We just turn to them and become mindful of them in whatever way we can. But as we practice more and get more experienced, then we can do it better. And we can become mindful of anything, pleasant, unpleasant, painful or pleasurable. And as we become mindful, then the sense of grasping at that experience of pleasure and pain disappears, the sense of self disappears and we're just knowing the pleasure, the pain or the body or the memory, whatever it is, we're just knowing it as it is without judging it, making anything out of it. As we practice meditation, then that can, that understanding can come up in all aspects of our life, in different situations where suffering might arise, as we were talking earlier, with praise and blame, the words of other people. Sometimes they're pleasant, sometimes unpleasant, sometimes it's what you want to hear, sometimes not. But when you practice mindfulness of just hearing those words and then you're taking out that sense of self that might emerge. You know, often we have an unconscious self-image. So words of blame or criticism we don't like. It might seem to harm that image we hold on to. But when we practice mindfulness then we just know those words as just words. And we can contemplate, are they true, are they not true? And in the end, they're just words, just sound, reaching our ears and then going away. As we practice, we're taking our mind to a deeper level of understanding of our life, where it can really depend on itself more than just the words of other people. The Buddha gave us this teaching, Atahi Atanonato. one has to depend on oneself. We can't always be 
dependent on the words of other people. Sometimes they're helpful and that give good advice, good, helpful, kind words, useful words. Other times, unhelpful, not helpful. But in the end, we also have to be able to know for ourselves from our own experience what is true, what is not, what is right, what is wrong. We can't always be dependent on what other people say. Now, I remember one time a monk I knew he was walking on arms round, Bindabhata, coming out of the temple in Thailand. And when you go into the village, the children, they all stand at the front of their houses and they call to the parents and say, Mum, the monk is coming, so that their mum or dad can prepare food and bring it out in time for when the monk comes with his bowl. One time this monk was walking into the village and the child at the first house said, Mum, the monk is coming. Then the child said, but it's not a real monk. Then he kept saying, Mum, it's a fake monk, it's a fake monk. This was a real monk, a very good monk, very well-practiced monk. And he said he just started to think thoughts in his mind, negative thoughts, aversion to these words, fake monk. He's about to think, who is he saying, fake monk? I'm a real monk. But then he caught himself falling into negativity, became mindful of the words and the meaning he was giving to them in his mind. Then he thought, if I get angry now, then I am a fake monk. As a real monk cannot give in to anger. So he let go of his anger. He just accepted the words and thought, hmm, these are just the words of a child. Children say all kinds of funny things. And he let go of his anger, carried on walking. He said, funnily enough, on that same day, later on, he's walking through the village and as he was coming back to the monastery, there was a hole in the road that they uh, were going to mend. And they dug up the road and they had a few piles of sand and gravel, but they hadn't mended the hole. And as he was walking past, a young lady on a motorcycle was driving past and she hadn't seen the hole. And her motorcycle went into the hole and she was thrown off the motorcycle. This was a young lady, maybe only 20 years old, and she ended up diving onto the monk, ended up in his arms. So he suddenly looked down and he had a young lady in his arms. Again he had this thought, am I a real monk or not? So he just closed his eyes and made himself very, very mindful into the state of calm, which gave the young lady time to uh, get up and dust herself down and apologize and then she went off. And life is like this, we have all kinds of un foreseen incidents, different things happen to us in our life and mindfulness is the way to deal with different situations unexpected or expected pleasurable, unpleasant 
suffering, not suffering, it's all becomes food for mindfulness. And so as we're practicing meditation here, we're becoming mindful of the way it is, the way this body is, the way that our minds are, the way we feel. And when mindfulness is there, then there's no sense of self-judging it. It should be different, it should be like this, it should be like that. We're just becoming clearly knowing what it is, what's there, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. Become aware of the changing nature of this body, how it's getting older, how it's changing the way we look, the way we feel. Even through one day we feel energetic and then we maybe feel tired, sleepy. We feel good, we feel not so good, feel hot, feel cold. All the time our body is giving us food for contemplation. When we're mindful of this body, we're just aware, we know what it is, what's happening, we can see it for what it is. When there's wisdom there, we can understand this, oh, this body is subject to change, doesn't stay the same. The feelings we have, pleasant, unpleasant, they're subject to change. They're not always the same. We can't expect always to be the same. Earlier somebody was saying, they hadn't seen me for a few years, they say, you look different. There's only one way somebody uh, can look different after a few years, and that means they look older. <laughs> so I said, oh, I look older, do I? <laughs> And that's the way it is, isn't it? We get old. We can either suffer with that, maybe have a, an attachment to an image that we've always got to be young, healthy, strong, good-looking. Or we can just be mindful of what it is to have a human body. Oh, it gets old. The body changes. The way we look changes. This is what the Buddha was encouraging us to do is to develop mindfulness and you become mindful of dukkha. First noble truth, if you get born into this world you must get older, you must age, you do get sick and one day we've got to die. There's no escaping these truths. You know, we can distract ourselves and hide ourselves from the truth but really it's just the way it is. Mindfulness helps us to face up to the truth, to dukkha, know it for what it is. We can see if we can be mindful of truth, then the mind doesn't get caught into all the reactions. And say the sad sadness and the grief, say if we do fear, face aging or sickness, when we practice mindfulness, we just know it for what it is. We don't have to feel so sad or depressed. When people we know and love pass away, we can uh, know them for what it is, know the truth for what it is. And when we get old, then we die. And this is turning dukkha to our advantage. It's not that we want dukkha, we don't want to get old, get sick, we don't want to die or lose our friends, relatives. 
But when it happens, you can contemplate it. You bring your mind to be mindful, just know oh, it's like this. And as you meditate right here, you can be mindful of this body and you can investigate the truth. What is this body anyway? The more quiet the mind becomes, you can turn your wisdom, your intelligence, just to contemplate this body, where does it come from? It's made up of the four elements. It's earth, air, fire, water. As we do breathing meditation, we can be aware of the, the breath element, the air element. We breathe in, the breath fills our lungs, and it goes on into the bloodstream how your breathing is can also reflect how much peace or disturbance you have in your mind as well and when the mind is very very peaceful then the breath becomes very calm relaxed even seems to get so refined it disappears that's the breath but nobody owns that breath it's just a reflection of the peaceful mind. The breath becomes very subtle, very refined. But the air that you breathe in, nobody owns that. There's nobody who is the breath. It's just the way the breath is. The air comes in, goes into your lungs, goes out again. Or the fire element. You see, when you have enough warm clothes, you feel warm. But that heat and that feeling of warmth, who owns that? Is that anybody? Is that a self? It's just the warmth of a living body. It feels like this. When you go outside, it's colder. You have to put more clothes on or move around to feel warm. When you're peaceful, you just contemplate this is the fire element. More fire, more heat or less heat. Or as you're sitting, the earth element, you can feel the solidity, the hardness of this body, see the hardness of your legs pressing down onto the ground. The hardness of your skin on clothing and the weight, weight of your body as you're sitting. You can see this body, we feed it up every day, but the food is just the earth element, mainly the earth element. Comes in, keeps the body growing, keeps it nourished. But the food we eat doesn't belong to anybody. It doesn't know that it's who it's feeding. doesn't have any sense of self. And the earth element in this body doesn't know anything doesn't have any owner, doesn't have a sense of self. The water element, the water in this body, it's like the glue in all the cells and molecules holding them together. This body is largely made up of water, even though we don't realize it. We only see the water element say, when we have have to go to the toilet or we have spit or saliva we notice the water element or when we have tears in the eyes 
But that water element has no owner, doesn't know any anybody, doesn't know a self. Just comes from the water we and the liquids we drink in with our food. As we sit here we can contemplate these four elements. Just see that this body is nothing more than four elements, even though we call it a self, my self. We try to own it and control it and make it go a certain way. In the end, that's what it is. It's four elements. This kind of understanding frees us from a lot of delusion, a lot of misunderstanding of truth which leads us to expect all kinds of impossible things that we expect and hope to live forever or for as long and long as possible to be healthy have no painful feelings no feelings of heat or cold we're always trying to get away from the dukkha of this body But when we contemplate it as four elements, we become more in touch with reality and just see it for what it is. So as we meditate, we can use the dukkha of our experience to help gain more wisdom and thereby free ourselves from a lot of other further dukkha, further suffering. Any time you can see yourself creating suffering out of something that doesn't have to be suffering, you can, if you see that, understand that, you can let go. Bring your mind back to the present moment, bring your mind back to a sense of stillness and peace, where it's just seeing things for what they are. So we have another half an hour of meditation in this period can uh, carry on meditating quietly together till we hear the bell. <laughs>